the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. So as a pastor, I think one of the, the great things that has come from um, this, uh, the, the need to be socially distant and some of the requirements we need to do um, uh, to be safe is that I still hear pages turning in Bibles because you are bringing your Bibles to church. That means the Bible you use is getting used more and you're entering into God's word and you're getting familiar with your own text. Uh, It brings joy to my heart to hear that sound of flipping pages or as I looked out there and saw you on your smart devices searching for the scripture or texting a friend. If we're honest, I won't name names. Again, our scripture this morning is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. It's written, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and that they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is it enough? The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us go now to God in prayer. O holy God, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're spending our time going through the gospel accounts of where Jesus is found to be praying. Now, this specific instance of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is recorded in all four gospel accounts. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we hear the narrative, and together we see a rich story of what occurs in that garden on the night that Jesus is betrayed. The moments, the hours leading up to his arrest. And so what happened previously is they had just concluded the Lord's Supper. They had just finished celebrating Passover, as we have just done. And they went out to the Mount of Olives, 
And as they were headed that way, they sung a hymn. And they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is there next to the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane meaning olive press. And so there it is, less than 24 hours away from Jesus dying on the cross. He's come near. And the next 24 hours will be filled with suffering and pain. And as they enter the garden, Jesus tells eight of them to sit there while he goes and prays. And then he brings Peter, James, and John along with him. And then his soul is troubled. He confides in them that as this hour was near, that Jesus, who knew no sin, would soon bear the punishment for all sin. That his soul was sorrowful, even to death. And he asked Peter, James, and John to keep watch. See, Jesus understood what awaited him because he knew God perfectly. Jesus understood what awaited him because he knew God's word was written on his heart. Jesus knew what awaited him because he and the Father entered this covenant together before the foundation of the world. He knew what awaited him because he knew what the Father said to Adam as he was sent out from the garden. He knew what awaited him because he had heard his own Father's words in Isaiah 53, verse 10, where it tells us, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. His soul makes an offering for guilt. And soon, Jesus would know this reality. He would live through this crushing. But up until then, up until then, Jesus has only ever known the Father's delight. He's only ever experienced the Father's love upon him. And as he draws near to that hour, he becomes sorrowful, for he is facing the Father's judgment. For every kind and degree and amount of moral evil, he's going to face judgment for every circumstance and combination of vile sin. And so our Lord prays. He falls on the ground overcome in agony and sorrow and grief. And he cries out, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but your will. And the scriptures tell us he goes and prays this three times. After each time checking on the disciples 
Peter, James, and John, only to find that they had not kept watch, but instead had fallen asleep. Jesus' prayer was simple. It's a simple formula. He, he goes and he addresses the Father and he praises him for his glory, that all things are possible for him. Then he makes his petition, his request, that he would have this cup removed from him. And then he does what's hard for most of us to do, to leave it in God's hand to be done the way God wills it. And so there in his request, in his petition, remove this cup from me. It's Jesus who's asking this. Jesus who is sinless, who's perfect, who's without blemish. He asks the Father to remove this cup, this cup of wrath, this cup that was filled with the wrath of God as the psalmist in Psalm 11 tells us, as Jeremiah tells us, as Isaiah tells us in chapter 51 and in Lamentations 4, we hear that this cup, that the Messiah that the Christ was to drink from was the cup of wrath, of God's judgment upon sin. And Jesus wasn't just drinking for a single individual. He was drinking for all creation. He was doing what only he could do. And this cup Jesus must drink from brings him falling on his face in prayer and agony and grief. And we understand where our Savior is coming from. Because we too, at times in our life, have been filled with such agony and grief. Sorrow has overcome us. It's overcome us to the point of crying out to the Lord to take it away. To please, please, Lord, take it away. We go to the Father asking just like Jesus for respite, for deliverance from this suffering that we are going through. See, we don't want to suffer. We don't enjoy suffering of, of any kind, of physical suffering, mental suffering, emotional suffering, or even suffering through change. Not only do we not enjoy suffering, we often don't understand it. We know, though, like Jesus, with God, all things are possible for God. But Jesus keeps praying. He knows he can't end his prayer by merely asking for his desires to be met. Yet not what I will, he prays, 
but what you will. In the same way that he taught his disciples, that he taught us to pray. When we go to our Father in heaven and ask that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But see, Jesus knows the will of God. He knows that it includes his own suffering, his own experiencing of wrath that is coming before him. And while he wishes nothing more than to not drink from that cup, he does what we are unable to do for ourselves. Perfectly obedient to God's will, even to death, to death on the cross. And there's where we struggle. Because we don't enjoy suffering. We want to avoid suffering and pain at all costs. And so we plead with God to have it removed from us. And we don't even understand or know God's purpose in it. We just want it gone. Sometimes we can find ourselves in a position where we begin to treat God as just a genie. He's there when we're in trouble. He's there to grant our wishes and our desires. But Jesus shows us the true way, that he's our Father who cares for us, who actually knows what's best for us, and who, according to his own word, works for the good of all who believe in him. And it's been this way since the beginning. See, in another garden, Eden, where Adam, the first Adam, did not submit to the Father's will. Instead, he attempted to be like God himself. But in this garden, Gethsemane, Jesus, the second Adam, submits perfectly to the will of God In Eden, it was daylight as he ate from the tree. And because of Adam's actions, a spiritual darkness came over humanity. In Gethsemane, it was dark. But because of Jesus' perfect obedience, a spiritual light was offered to all humanity. In Eden, when God came searching for Adam, he hid himself. In Gethsemane, when the soldiers and his betrayer come looking for Jesus, he stands there and says, here I am. When Adam was kicked out and left the Garden of Eden, 
God spoke words of grace upon him. And when Jesus left the Garden of Gethsemane, he was treated like a criminal in every way. Christ was taken from the garden, bearing the wrath of God and the hatred of man because of his righteousness. And in the midst of his agony, his grief, his sorrow that night, Jesus was obedient to the Father's will, even to death on a cross. And we're told by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are forever grateful for Jesus' faithfulness, for his willingness to submit to your will so that we might be saved. Lord, we read and we know what Christ did was not easy. And we know we could not drink from that cup ourselves. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for setting us free from the bondage of sin and free to live in Christ. For it's in his great name that we pray. Amen.